morning, MRCC. Yes, His presence is here today. Would you offer Him your heart this morning? Yes, we celebrate the name of Jesus. We celebrate the name of Jesus in this place. Hey, come let us worship our King. Come let us bow at His feet. For He has done great things. Yes, do you believe that, church? See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. Yes, He has done great things. Yes, He has. He has done great things. Can we lift this up? Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain, oh God. You have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awaken a lie. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high, oh God. You have done great things. Hallelujah. Yes, but we won't forget. Oh, yes. You've been faithful through every storm. You'll be faithful forevermore. Oh, you have done great things. And I know it. And I know you will do it again. For your promise, Lord. For your promise is yes and amen. Yes, you will do great things. Would you tell him from your heart? God, you do great things. Yes, we will do it. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You freed every captive and break every chain, oh God. You have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awaken a lie. Oh Jesus, my Savior, your name lifted high, oh God. You have done great things. In response to your goodness, we raise hallelujah, Lord, yeah. God above it all, hallelujah, God, unshakable, hallelujah, you have done great things. As you reflect on his goodness this morning, you sing hallelujah, hallelujah, God, above it all, hallelujah, God, unshakable, hallelujah, you Done great things. We've done great things. Can we make this our truth today? Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. Oh, God, you have done great things. We dance your freedom, awaken the light. Oh, Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh, God. You have done great things, yeah. You have done great things. Let it be known that you have done great things. Hallelujah. No, oh, we won't forget. It's your goodness, it is. It's your promise, it is. Forevermore. For he's faithful and he is worthy of every hallelujah. Can we give us some praise this morning, church? Yes, we thank you for the good you've done. We thank you for the good you've done, Lord. No, we won't forget. Yes, I won't forget the wonder of how you brought deliverance, the exodus of my heart. You found me, you freed me, held back the waters for my release. Oh, Yahweh, yeah. you're the God who fights for me, Lord of every victory. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You have torn apart the sea, you have led me. Oh, 
every victory amen he can overcome any stronghold even little technical difficulties amen for the family of Christ hey Andy I love you brother thank you if you've come in today with a burden just know that he is fighting for you there's a quote from the infamous preacher Charles Spurgeon that says let the music of his name ring in your ears all the day long and if you would have it ring in your ears it must ring from your tongue whenever you have the opportunity tell out this marvelous story you see, church, his name has power. And have we made it our reality to proclaim the name of Jesus over every area of our lives, over every high, over every low, over every fear, every stronghold, over our families, over our communities. So as we sing this new song this morning, would you open the doors of your heart? Would you let his love in today? I just want to speak the name of Jesus Over every heart and every mind Cause I know there is peace within your presence I speak Jesus 
Yes, I just want to speak the name of Jesus Till every dark addiction starts to break yes. Declaring there is hope and there is freedom I speak Jesus Yes, your name is power We make this our reality. Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Oh, our prayer over every heart and every mind cause I know there is peace within your presence I speak Jesus yes I speak Jesus Jesus, how I trust Him. I 
Jesus, precious Jesus, oh for grace to trust in more. Oh, let us trust you all the more. Father, we thank you that you are a good father, that you are a good God who is always there for your sons and daughters. Father, we thank you that you are walking with us through our fights, through our battles. Father, would you remind us that the biggest battle of all is already won in Jesus' name, and the victory is yours, and we celebrate this victory in your house, God. Father, as we continue to walk with you towards sanctification, Lord. Let us trust in you all the more, and let us remember all the more that you give all that we need. You say so in your Lord's prayer. So can we together pray the way that the Lord has taught us to pray, united as one, gathered before the Father, we say, Our Father, art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's what it's all about. Those are words to live by. Welcome to church this morning. Hey, we're all family here. Let's do as family does. And let's turn to those around us. Make them feel welcome in the house of the Lord today. with us today. Uh, it's a big deal uh, because I know homecoming happened last night for some and uh, getting up out of bed was a big deal. So thank you for getting out of bed, <laughs> making it to church today. Uh, but making it a priority is a really big deal. Uh, we want to welcome you. If you're new here, uh, welcome. 
Uh, I am our kids' pastor. Typically down the hall, they're dancing it up back there for their worship, and I get to join them here in just a minute. But every once in a while, I come down here just to be able to say how much I love you, and I'm thankful for you, and thank you for bringing your kids. Um, but I also want to share with you a few things that are going on here this week, specifically in this month. Uh, today, if you're able, come back. Uh, Kara is a missionary that we support, and uh, she's going to, she, if you noticed when you came in, there's a table out there. Uh, that's where she serves, and we just love that she's here to share her heart, share her what she's doing in ministry. We're going to have lunch together, actually, after third service, so you're welcome to chat with her in the hall, but come down and learn even more. Uh, down there in the kids' area, we'll be having lunch together and hearing from her, so if you can join us, please uh, come and join us for that. I think it's a great opportunity, um, but as we look forward, we have a few things coming up uh, next week. How many of you have participated in Operation Christmas Child in the past? Um, there, we're able to do that this year, and we'll have boxes here next week for you to pick up. If you haven't heard about it, it's just a great ministry, an opportunity to fill those boxes with some goodies and some fun things that we can send overseas or to different places where... Um, or maybe that would just be a special gift where there's needs in those countries that we can send something kind of fun uh, for them to enjoy. So uh, it just is a great thing that we as a church can come together and fill these boxes up and send them and know that it's going to bless some kids. So uh, we'll be sending those with you in the next couple weeks, and then you return them uh, kind of at the early part of November, November 7th to 14th kind of the time frame that we'll be collecting them back, uh, because obviously we want to get them out there before uh, Christmas time, so they are kind of on an early shift. We were laughing about how it's October and talking about Christmas, but just so you know, I start planning Christmas in August, so this is nothing. <laughs> As a matter of fact, if you are a parent, you'll be getting Christmas CDs coming soon so your kids can prepare for the Christmas program. So, you know, we start in August, we keep going in October. I mean, how many of you listen to Christmas music all year round? Two. I see two. <laughs> Is that illegal? Okay. Um, but yes, uh, just so you know, though, that's coming and, and it's a great way to bless uh, some other kids, but as a church family, participate in that. The other thing that's coming up is our MOPS group. Uh, they're going to do a trunk or treat again this year. They do it every year. They do it on a Tuesday, so it's actually on October 26th. Uh, but we want to invite you to be a part of it in a way that you can decorate up a trunk uh, because I actually feel like this year could be one of our biggest years considering there's so many kids that are homeschooled and our preschool age kids and that ministry alone is growing a ton. So uh, the more trunks we can have participating, the better. It's super simple. Uh, just out in the parking lot, we have a bunch of trunks and kids walk around from 11 to 1. I mean, it's super fun and they get dressed up and they just have a great time. So it's, a, it's another fun way uh, to be a community together uh, as your church. So that's kind of a big deal. And uh, while we're talking about that, the reason I'm here specifically, we really wanted to touch base this whole month to talk about what it looks like to join a team at MRCC. Uh, many of you are already a part of a team. Last week I came up here and I just shared how uh, being a part of a team really is a joy for each person as you serve in the church. And as you make MRCC your church home, uh, there's so much more joy in serving in some way. And there's so many ways to be plugged into your church, uh, whether it is through a small group, a girl group, that kind of thing. But serving specifically, uh, of course, I love to plug kids ministries because that's my heart. That's my love. Uh, and we only ask really once a month during one service. So if you can imagine, we need a large team to be able to do that. But the idea is that you would never feel overburdened by too much, uh, at being asked to do too much. Uh, so there's lots of other uh, places where you could serve, whether it's a greeter, you saw the people smiling at you when you walk in the door, um, someone willing to just give you a hug when you need a hug, that kind of thing, uh, but also a meals ministry or a cooking team, that's kind of behind the scenes stuff. There's a ton of things like that. Specifically, um, I don't know how many of you know, but our cooking team is the team that comes together and cooks food whenever there's a memorial service uh, or for something like Band of Brothers or any event that happens here. We have a team of people that come and cook and clean up and do all that kind of stuff. So I, I share that one specifically because we need you. If you love to cook, please let us know. But the way to let us know, let me share with you that, there is a little QR code on the back of your seat. If you scan that, you'll see a list of all the different opportunities to serve in your church. Uh, because I just listed a few, and there's so many different ways to be connected at your church. So if you scan that, you'll see the different ways. If you click on something, I'll get an email, or the right person, the pastor over that ministry will get an email, and they can get in touch with you right away. And if you are new with us, you can use that same QR code to let us know you're new, and I promise we won't sign you up for a team yet. 
unless you really want to. Uh, I'm teasing. But we, we don't even bug you too much. We just love to know when we have new friends joining us. We just send an email that says hi. won't show up at your door or anything like that. But uh, we just want to be able to welcome you if you're new with us. So with that, would you open your Bibles? Because Pastor Greg has the word for us today. Thank you, Pastor Allison. Appreciate it. And uh, welcome, everybody. It's great to see you this morning. Welcome to everybody who's joining us on the live stream and second service. We're thrilled that you're with us as well. Hey, a couple of quick things also to kind of piggyback on what Pastor Allison was saying. One of them is that our missionary guest this morning, who is in the foyer and will be here for lunch this afternoon, just so you're aware, uh, she serves in what we call a sensitive field. In other words, uh, she serves a little bit undercover. She serves in a place where missionaries aren't welcome. So as you participate in stuff today, where maybe you go to lunch, maybe you talk to her for a few minutes in the foyer, uh, don't, don't post about that on social media. Don't say, hey, I talked to a missionary from so-and-so a place today, because this is one of those uh, sensitive fields that she serves on. So something to be aware of, something to just be in touch with. And then, before we open God's Word together, um, every now and then I pause to just stop and let us know about some of the cool things that happen between the lines. Now, uh, you may or may not know that Pastor Dave leads what's called our benevolence team, and, and that is a group that focuses on serving crisis needs and special situations that come up, whether they're financial or otherwise. And that kind of thing's going on all the time. And because we are so generous as a church, uh, because you are so generous in giving, we're able to meet a lot of needs. And once in a while, I like to highlight one of those. This week, we found out that the Lund family uh, had an opportunity to have an elevator installed for their daughter, who is wheelchair-bound, so that she could independently get in and out of their basement downstairs. But while there was an elevator that was coming, there was no way to get to or from the elevator. So... Uh, a team from the church got together and put up this ramp, uh, this wheelchair system here with the, the mooring and the whole nine yards so that Peyton can get in and out of her basement apartment in her wheelchair, which is pretty cool because she's coming into her teenage years. And the hope is that maybe at some point she'll be independent, be able to get out on her own in a powered wheelchair and, and do a little getting around. And so can we just appreciate all the guys who came together and did that work this week? Pretty cool stuff. Yep. Um, again, the kind of thing that happens because we as a church are so faithful in giving, so thank you for that. And, and, and by the way, as you become aware of situations, whether in your own life or the lives around you, uh, that are moments of need, come and let us know. Grab Pastor Dave, get in touch with him. We've got a benevolence team that assesses those, and, and we get involved in that kind of thing a lot. Uh, grab your Bible, if you would, open it to Colossians chapter 3. We're beginning with verse 5. We're, we're getting towards the end of our journey this fall together through Colossians. Uh, this morning we're in chapter 3, beginning with verse 5. And as you're turning there, let me ask you, do you remember what it was like when you were a kid and, uh, and, and, and you dressed up as somebody else? I'm not just thinking of that holiday at the end of the year that we talked, or at the end of the month that we talked about last week, you know, that holiday called Harvest Festival, what we call it in church, right? You know that holiday. I'm not just thinking about that. I'm thinking about when you were a kid, all of us had the experience of dressing up. I remember when I was about seven, eight years old, and for my birthday, somebody, I don't remember who, but they gave me this whole head-to-toe sheriff's outfit. I'm old enough that the Western thing was still going. And they gave me this sheriff's outfit, and it had a vest and a gun belt and two guns and chaps and a hat and a badge on my chest. And for some reason, one of those memories that sticks with you, I remember going into my bedroom, changing into that, and walking out into the living room like I was somebody. You know, I was dressed up like the, the missing son on Bonanza. I was, you know, somebody who was there. And I remember thinking it was pretty cool to feel like that. And and we've all had that experience. Maybe you, you dressed up in a football uniform and then you felt like you were somebody or you dressed up as a soldier or a pilot or whatever. That feeling that comes over us in that moment is actually very significant. And it's actually something that God talks to us about when it comes to our growing up in our faith. You know, some years went by and I turned 18 and then I... I, I got a real uniform. I remember what it felt like to put that on for the first time and say, I'm a Marine, you know, I, I, I've got this costume. And when I put it on, 
I immediately felt kind of elevated. Now there's more expected of me. Now certain things are required, and now I'm going to step up to that level. And then I remember years later when I went to work in the emergency room, and for the first time I put on a lab coat and a stethoscope and walked out into the trauma room or the cardiac room or the, the receiving area then and, and felt like, man, I'm, I'm going to be somebody here. I'm going to step up into a new identity now, or a healer, or a helper. We've all had those experiences of dressing up like something we aren't yet, but that we hope to be. And in fact, much of life is a matter of living up to the costumes that we put on. I mean, who really feels ready to be a mom or a dad when it happens? But we dress up and we step into it. Who really feels ready to be a, a teacher or a pilot or a soldier or fill in the blank? But we put on that uniform, that costume, and then, and then we begin to become. We begin to live up to that new identity. C.S. Lewis writes marvelously about this in Mere Christianity. He says, we see our kids do this because it's a natural part of growing up. As they get older, they begin to imagine that they could be more, and they dress up like more, and then lo and behold, they become more. It's possible that down that hall in my wife's toddler class that she's teaching right now is the next president of the United States. Let's hope so, because we could do worse, amen? <laughs> but that's possible. That's real. Because somebody there is going to start dressing up like more than they are, and as they do... They're going to become more than they are. The Bible talks about this again and again. Let me give you a few examples. Romans chapter 13, verse 14, the scripture says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, dress up like you belong to him. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, all of you who were baptized into Christ, catch the, the word picture, have clothed yourselves with Christ. You have dressed up. And the passage before us this morning, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, the Bible says, clothe yourselves, there's that picture again, with compassion and kindness, humility and gentleness and patience. This theme of, of putting on clothing, of putting on, uh, of who we're going to become is a major theme in your Bible. It comes up again and again and again. And it's important that we understand this. Here's why. Because the tendency in our culture is to reduce ourselves to our lowest denominator and then assume that that's our identity. Let me give you a couple of examples. You know, I, I think to myself, I just want to eat that entire bag of licorice, the whole thing, red and black, all of it. And then I think to myself, well, that's who I am, somebody whose appetite rules me. Or if I'm angry, I think that I should vent or rage or express myself loudly to a lot of people and that if I don't, here's what we say to ourselves, if I don't do that, I'm somehow being dishonest or inauthentic. See, what we tend to do is reduce ourselves to our lowest denominator. If I have lust, we say, well, that must be who I am. But what if it's not? What if it's actually those things that are mitigating against who we really are? And that it is when we dress up as more than those things that we actually become more than those things. A friend of mine and I had a, a great conversation recently. He tends to be too direct in conversations. And so he has sometimes a hard time making friends, especially new friends with strangers. He said, here's what he said. He said, you know, Greg, when I make small talk, I feel like I'm being dishonest or inauthentic. And I said to my friend, no, bro, you know, sometimes when you make small talk, what you're doing is helping that other person sort of relax and step into the moment and you're giving them your attention and you're kind of making a safe space for them. It's not inauthentic. It's a way of serving. It's a way of loving. And I can relate to where my friend was coming from because as an introvert by nature, when I first became a pastor, I thought to myself, I don't know how to talk to all these people and connect with all these people. How am I going to do that? And because I'm just a total nerd, here's what I actually did 35 years ago. Uh, I memorized five things to say to people that I see for the first time. 
I had one, two, three, four, five, and I would like go through them on Sunday morning, right? So I would walk up to a lady. Here was one of my ladies once. Hey, good morning. Wow, your hair looks nice. <laughs> I say that like 10 times every Sunday morning. I walk up to a guy and say, yo, man, you are uglier than the last time I saw you. And, I, and they thought I was only saying that to them, but actually I was saying it to five other guys. And I worked until I learned how. Now, was I being fake? No. I was aspiring to be more than I was. And God calls us to do that. Let me ask you this question as we get started this morning. Who do you aspire to be? What's the identity that you're reaching for? God wants to talk to us about that because it's who we choose to dress up as that we eventually become. So Colossians chapter 3, you remember in our first week we learned that Jesus to deciphering what God is saying, that when we listen to him, he's the key to the code. And then in week two, we heard that uh, his authority, when we receive him as who he is, the son of God, God the son, God become a human being, the word became flesh, then we experience his authority in our lives. In the third week, we talked about the fact that he's given us all powers, kind of like superheroes, and that our powers are meant to be used to serve one another, and that's where we find joy and satisfaction. Then the fourth week, we learned that listening carefully to Jesus is the key to dodging all the hoaxes in our world, especially the hoaxes about God and eternity and life and death and what's real and what isn't. This morning, beginning with verse 5, Paul's going to talk to us about how we dress up. And listen to what he says, Colossians 3, verse 5, put to death, therefore, in light of all these things we've learned, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, not sexuality, but sexual immorality, impurity, which is a different thing entirely. We're going to talk about it in a moment. Lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Rid yourself of anger, of rage, of malice, of slander, of filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other. And here's the word picture again. Since you have taken off your old self, your old clothes, your old costume, with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Now, we're going to move down through verse 17, but let's pause for a moment. And, and take in what we just heard. And let's first of all remember that you hold in your hands the very word of God. The Holy Spirit, the scripture says, inspired authors to write, gave us the word of God. So God is speaking. And right up front in this passage, he gives us a reminder, friends, of something that most of our world ignores or forgets most of the time. And that is that judgment is coming. It's easy to, to feel like all the bad guys are getting away with all kinds of bad stuff, but it's not true. Judgment is coming. The wrath of God is coming. We read a story this week about somebody going into a mosque and blowing themselves up and killing a hundred people. And how many times have we heard that story? Read stories this week about shooters going into malls and schools, and we think the bad guys are winning. No, they're not. Judgment is coming, and judgment reverses all those things. The wrath of God is coming. Church, when we remember that, we live better. When we remember that, we live well. When we remember that, we're unafraid and undiscouraged by the things we see and hear. Lots of people like to pretend judgment isn't coming, but God says it is. I can relate to this a little bit because you may know that, that I drive a Mini. You may mock me for that. Feel free. Everybody else does. But I just love driving because it's a blast drive. It's like a little rocket on wheels all the time. And it's just fun to drive. And, and sometimes it's a lot of fun because I can take advantage of my little sport mode. I click it over. The turbo comes on. The suspension stiffens up. And now I can really rock it around. Sometimes I enjoy that. Sometimes I enjoy that a little much. 
So I'm coming back a few months ago from uh, Tacoma, and I'm taking that exit there by the casino off of I-5 to come through Puyallup and come up River Road on the way to, to Edomclaw. And I, I, driving a Mini, you especially love those roads like slaloms. And I, I pulled off there, and I'm listening to my music, and I'm feeling good. And I noticed that the three trucks that are in my way are kind of spaced one, two, three in the road. And if I click in the turbo, I can like zip between them. Yeah, let's do that. So I hit it. I go right through there. I'm feeling great. I come out in front of the last one thinking, that was fun. And there's that giant photo enforcement sign, right, on the post. You know the one I'm talking about? Maybe it got you. And it flashes. And I think to myself, judgment's coming. <laughs> Judgment is coming. I shouldn't have done that, I knew, but I forgot that that thing's there. We forget. So, so after that, what happens? Now, every day when the mail comes, I'm like, is today the day? Eventually, of course, little notice comes in the mail, $126. Please pay your fine. Judgment was always coming. And it's not just someday. You know, here's the truth is that for the next week and a half, I was just on eggshells waiting for that thing to arrive in the mail because then I knew I'd have to explain it to my wife. <laughs> and, and judgment isn't just about what God will do someday. Judgment's about how it affects you in the meantime. I spent the next 10 days, is this the day I got to explain to my wife? Is this the day I got to explain to my wife? I'm kidding a little bit because... but. Yeah, in that whole period, I lived with that anxiety. That's what sin does to us. Jesus put it this way. He said, everyone who sins becomes a slave to sin. Yeah, it takes over pieces and parts of our life. It governs how we feel, how we think, what we expect, what we, what we fear. I knew a man who refused to control his tongue. This was many years ago. I was his pastor. I was his friend. And I would periodically call him on it and say, bro, that's not what God has for you. He wants you to govern your tongue. And, and he would sort of acknowledge that, but you could tell he wasn't taking it seriously. And once I said to him, brother, when you give vent to your tongue, it's just going to turn loose your temper. And, and you struggle a little bit with your temper. You know that. You've told me that. And God wants to change that in your life. And I could tell once again he wasn't listening. And then there came the day when he was giving vent to his tongue and it turned loose his temper and he hit his wife and broke three ribs. He's in prison. He's in prison. All because he forgot that judgment is coming. <laughs> the judgment is happening. And the Apostle Paul calls our attention to that right here in this passage. He says, remember, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So he says, listen to what he says, friends. He says, put to death whatever belongs to your sinful nature. Now that phrase, put to death, is strong in the original Greek. It speaks of a soldier charging into battle. <laughs> it says, go, go to battle with these parts of you. Charge in there. Take strong action. Enter the fight. It's kind of like what you do with your weeds. You know that the weeds in your yard, if you mow them, they're not going to stay down. <laughs> So every spring you drag yourself out there and you pull them out by the roots because you know that nothing less will work. Well, it's the same thing with our sinful nature. Put it to death, charge it, attack it, make it an enemy. And he says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. That means the part of you that tends to reduce you and others to biology. The part of you that tends to say eternity and, and God aren't really there, aren't really involved, or maybe I'll get away with this and the photo enforcement note will never come in the mail. That's the part of us that we're called to put to death. And he gets very specific about it. He says, uh, put to death the sexual immorality. Friends, let's understand that God doesn't see sex outside of the covenant of marriage as a choice between adults. He doesn't see that at all. He doesn't see it as a, a free will choice that we make. And if we consent, it's okay. He sees it as people abusing one another. And especially as people abusing his sons and daughters. Listen to how God talks about it over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that's holy and honorable. By the way, there's tremendous hope in that. You say, I can't learn to control my body. Yeah, you can actually. God can teach you. He can achieve in you what you can. But he says, each should learn to control his body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who don't know God. 
who don't know that that's God's son or daughter I'm involved with, regardless of whether they consent or not. And that in this matter, listen, no one should wrong his brother or his sister or take advantage of him. You know, how would you feel if the the dealer who was dealing drugs to your son or daughter, selling heroin to them, said, well, hey, they asked for it, they wanted it, they agreed to it, so I gave it to them, where's the harm? You would feel very high level of disagreement with that person if you were a parent. And God says that's how he feels about sexual immorality when it happens. He knows how it affects us more than we do, and he warns about it. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, the scripture says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. He who sins sexually sins against his body. In other words, it has a unique addictive effect on us. And so watch out for it. Be careful of it. Flee from it. But, but friends, let's understand that sexual immorality isn't the only or even the main thing the Apostle Paul's talking about here. He also talks about impurity and evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. What does he mean? Impurity, hear me now, this is important. Impurity is to want the wrong thing. That's the idea behind the phrase. To want the wrong thing. It doesn't mean to be tempted. Jesus was tempted in every way as you and I are, but was without sin. So the thought occurring to you is not impurity. But when you grab onto it and make it your aspiration, your ambition, that's where impurity happens. When you want the wrong thing. See, we get to choose what we want. And what we choose determines who we become. That's why, for example, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because you're choosing to want something. And by choosing to want it, You set yourself in the mode to receive it. I remember when I arrived uh, in Moscow, Idaho to pastor. And I had been called there, Ron and I had, and and I had driven ahead. Uh, She and Isaiah came a couple months later. And I I drove into town on my first day, uh, met the guy who opened the church door, went into my office, sat down in it for the first time. I was sitting there maybe 10 minutes and the phone rang. (laughs) I haven't even unpacked my car. And it was a woman in the church who just an hour before her husband had announced that he was leaving her. And I thought, well, okay, here we go. (laughs) It's time to start being Pastor Greg. And so I called the man. I'll call him Bill, not his name. I said, Bill, uh, sounds like things are rough. Let's talk. You know, let's connect. He said, sure, okay. I was a little surprised by his eagerness. He came down to my office. We sat down, made a little bit of small talk. And I said, Bill, talk to me, bro. What's going on? What's happening? He said, well, it's no big deal. I I just don't want to be a husband anymore. don't want to be a father. There's lots of fish in the sea. I'm just choosing to to leave. I said, Bill, you got two kids. (laughs) You got a wife that you made promises to. You guys uh, have 10 years together. I said, "Uh, you're just going to throw all that away? Yeah, I don't want that anymore. I said, Bill, what you choose to want is who you're going to become. I said, think carefully about this because there's consequences and not just for you there's a son who needs a dad there's a daughter who needs a dad there's a wife who needs a husband and there's all your hopes and dreams which will not be found in the place you're choosing to look for them but but he made that choice and he became that person the tragedy of that's a story for another time but the point is what we choose to want creates us what you choose to want. So I, I asked a moment ago, what, what are you choosing to aspire to? Give yourself, you know, the clarity to think about that. Because all of us are always choosing what we want all the time. Then the Apostle Paul goes on, he says, watch out for greed, which is idolatry. Friends, let's understand something. If you end up wealthy while you're chasing something else, hallelujah, that's great. That's fantastic. God entrusts us with money and and we get to use it to help and serve other people and we get to enjoy it for ourselves to whatever degree we have it. When you're chasing something else and you end up wealthy, that's awesome. But God warns very explicitly about chasing wealth itself. He says, that's dangerous. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Money itself is not evil, but the love of it. And we get to choose what we want. If it comes to us while we're wanting something else, hallelujah. I've known many people who 
understand that when God brings wealth into their lives, it's a, a tool to be used to serve and bless others and to make a difference in the world, and that it can also be a blessing to themselves personally. But all the ones who know that and enjoy it are the ones who never sought it as an end in itself. And so God invites us to recognize that. When wealth is understood as a tool to be used to serve others, it's a blessing. When it isn't, it isn't. So God says, hey, watch out for that. What are you choosing to dress up as? What are you choosing to aspire to? What are you choosing to want? And then to kind of perpetuate this, take off the old clothes, put on the new clothes, look at verse 7. He says, you used to walk in all these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all that old outfit. Rid yourselves of anger and rage, malice and slander, and filthy language for your lips. What a word for our time. You and I live at a time when we can be heard like never before. Social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, whatever you want to call it, we can just broadcast all the time. And the result is the world that we see. God says, hey, don't use those tools to vent your anger, your rage, your malice, your slander. Watch out because your tongue is the guiding force in your life. And if you use it to express those things, it will undo who you're intended to become, which we're going to talk about in just a moment. I remember when I lived in Iceland. It's been a year there. And when you live in a place like that, you learn how to drive on ice because you're doing it eight months out of the year. And what you learn when you're learning to drive on ice is that the steering wheel and the brake pedal are a lot less effective than they are when there's no ice. You learn to manage your vehicle by its momentum, not by the brakes or the steering wheel. So you're constantly gauging your momentum. You don't say to yourself, I can slam on the brakes and stop, because if you slam on the brakes, you might go faster. You don't say to yourself, I can turn the wheel really fast and turn, because you can't. And so you manage your momentum, and you learn that that's the key. In the same way, God says... What you and I use our tongues for is the key to self-control in our lives. Now, having made that call to us, verses 9 to 12, listen to what the apostle says. He says, so don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self, there's the picture, with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Greek or Jew. Boy, that's a big statement. So those of us who get superstitious about Jewishness relentlessly ignore how often the Bible says this. Here, in the body of Christ, there's no Greek or Jew. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised. In case we missed the point, he drives it home from a Jewish perspective. There's no barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, there's the phrase again, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. In other words, dress up like somebody you aren't yet because that's how you become that person. Dress up like somebody you aren't yet because that's how you become that person. I've often shared how when Ron and I became believers as young married couple with an uh, unchurched background, you know, my, my mouth was a, was, a, was a cesspool. I just I couldn't talk without constantly swearing. But one of the things I learned very early on was that God had called me beyond that. He'd called me to something else. And so I began to make it my ambition. It's not a very great ambition, some of you are thinking, but at the time it was for me. To make it my ambition to be somebody whose words reflected the fact that I belonged to God. And once I chose that, I began to become that. Once I began to clothe myself in that identity, I began to become that person. It's a little-known fact of military history that there's a reason for those crazy costumes we see soldiers of previous generations dress in. Have you ever wondered why, you know, Napoleonic armies, British armies at the time of the Revolution, that all dressed up in these wild outfits, giant hats, bright colors, brass stuff all over the place? I mean, it looks like a costume party when we say, we say how can that help in any way them fight a battle or fight a war? Well, here's the nerdy reality. Generals and leaders understood in those days that if you dress a man up, he will think of himself as braver. If you give him a tall hat, he will think of himself as taller. If you give him epaulets on his shoulders, he will think of himself as having broad shoulders. 
If you give him a great costume, he think of himself as somebody and act braver. And so the costumes actually had a very practical intent. The same kind of thing happened, as I mentioned earlier, when I went into the emergency room. When I put on that, that uniform of the ER, suddenly I began to go, oh, I'm a healer. I'm a helper. I'm a person who knows stuff that can help. And so I began to become that person. What you and I choose to dress up in, we inevitably become. So the question again is what are we choosing to dress ourselves up as? That's why the Bible says again, Romans 13, 14, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. This means, to put it uh, another way, that we are called to pretend we are more than we are because that's how we become more than we are. We are called to dress up as saints because that's how we become saints. We grow by dressing up. So clothe yourself with Christ. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, and all the rest. You know, if you want to think about this from the opposite angle, imagine if you were still wearing the outfits you wore in the 80s or 90s. You want to think about that for a moment? Just close your eyes and picture that for a second, all right? I'm noticing lately among middle schoolers and high schoolers, they're starting to wear overalls again. I'm thinking, no, don't go there. I've been there. It's not a good place to be, you know? Or you look at some of the catalogs now, ladies, get ready because they're foisting giant pantsuits with billowy things on you. That's happening right now. Yeah, it's coming back. You know, you say to yourself, I don't want to go back. <laughs> you know, I don't want to wear that stuff anymore. Say that to yourself spiritually. Say that to yourself in Christ. I want to dress up like who I'm becoming. You know, I remember when our son was about I don't know, 13 or 14, and uh, we had to go to a f very formal event. I think it was a big wedding. I can't really remember. But what I do remember is that for the first time, we were going to dress him up in a suit. <laughs> and so we went and bought one, and it was tailored to fit him. And he had never worn a nice suit. You know, he did when he was like three at little things. But he had never done this as a young man. And we dressed him up in this outfit, and I showed him how to do his tie and everything. And he stood, and he looked in the mirror, and he was like, whoa. I look sharp. <laughs> and you can just see his posture change. You know, I'm somebody, you know. And I remember we went to that wedding and Ron and I laughed because he was walking around different. <laughs> he was behaving differently. What was happening? You know what was happening. The inside of him was imagining that he could be more than he thought he was. And in the same way, God says to us, hey, Greg, dress up like more than you are because that's how you become more than you are clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and here's the thing, we're almost done this morning. When we dress according to our identities, the identities that we aspire to, then that process changes our identity. To put on the new self means to cease being anything else in your head and heart before you are a daughter or a son of God. That's why in verse 11 of Colossians chapter 3, Paul says this, here among us who are dressing up as sons and daughters of God. Here, there is neither Gentile nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, Christ is all and is in all. Here, that's our identity. Trade away the other identities. Your primary identity is not red state or blue state. It's not CNN or Fox. It's not mask or unmask. It's not vaccine or unvaccine. It's not American or Chinese or city or country or anything else. You are Christ followers. You are sons of God. Dress up like that. Yeah, that's who we are. Everything else is secondary. And when we dress up like that, we become something amazing. We become saints. We become sons and daughters of God. You know, many of you know that every year, normally on a normal, not these last two years, but every year in the spring, I go down to Phoenix for 10 days to practice my really stupid, nerdy, dumb hobby of historical board wargaming. And when this happens, guys fly from all over the world. Um, they come from every country virtually in the world. And, and when they fly in, some of these guys are, are pretty high-end dudes. Like, there's a guy that flies from Melbourne, Australia, who owns a company that custom builds private jets for billionaires, right? Sometimes he'll come to Phoenix as a way to deliver one of his jets. He'll fly it over and land. There's another guy there, a friend of mine, Ed, uh, lives in Houston and is, works for NASA. And Ed is the, the chief NASA fuel designer for rockets that go into space. So he, he like composes molecular recipes for rocket fuel, right? So these are, these are some dudes that have got some earthly standing. But, but you know what happens to us when we go to Phoenix? We all show up in baggy shorts, bad tennis shoes, 
t-shirts where the bellies are too big and we turn into nerds together. And we sit around those tables and we have a new identity. And we talk about ourselves as a tribe and we laugh at each other and we love each other because we're friends. We become who we dress up as. Who are you dressing up as? And, and, and by the way, as we close this morning, let me speak briefly to ladies and briefly to guys. God talks very specifically about who we dress up as and the effect that it has on us. Ladies, God says, don't dress up to be sexy. Don't dress up to make of yourself an object. You hate it, so why would you play into it? The Bible says, 1 Peter chapter 3, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. Ladies, this is what your soul wants. You want to be appreciated for who you are. So don't play the game of dressing up the way the world wants you to. I'll never forget when my wife owned this and it radically changed her approach. It made her more beautiful to me. And fellas, by the way, God talks to us about the same kind of thing. He calls us not to buy the juvenile nonsense that, that being macho or, or somehow having earthly success makes you a man. No, neither of those things do. You're not an ape in the jungle. A bunch of success won't make you a man any more than a bunch of hair will make you a monkey. You are made in the image of God. Own that identity masculinity is also known as maturity not macho not posturing not pretending not acting masculinity is maturity it's why the bible says when i was a child i talked like a child i thought like a child i reasoned like a child but when i became a man i put the ways of childhood behind me masculinity is responsibility and servanthood and self-sacrifice that's masculinity not macho and not success. So God says to all of us, hey, dress up like what I have called you to be. That's where you'll find your real self. And Paul ends here in this passage, verses 13 to 17, by wrapping all this up. He says, so bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over, here, here comes again this word picture, over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Put on that identity. You know, as we get ready to close this morning, I have one brief story to share with you. Let me ask you again. What is the identity you're aspiring to? Who are you trying to make yourself? Guys, are you trying to make yourself a tough guy, macho guy? It's a dead end. Ladies, are you trying to make yourself spectacular, amazing, eye-catching, attention-capturing? It's a dead end. It won't lead to the satisfaction that you hunger for. Are you trying to make yourself somebody in this world or somebody in the world to come? Jesus invites us to dress up like our Savior, like saints, like the people of God, like citizens of heaven, because when we do, that's what we become. And that will always satisfy. Let me finish with a story. When I was in the military, I got, I got sent home on what's called TAD, Temporary Additional Duty. I got sent home to help with recruiting for a month. They sent me back to my hometown. This is when I was in the Marines. And my job was to put on my uniform, which looked sharp, and go visit high schools and colleges and talk to students about joining the service and that was a lot of fun because it wasn't hard and I got to go back to the places where people knew me as somebody else and now they saw me as a new somebody and gosh it was kind of cool it was kind of fun it felt good and then one day at lunch me and the other guy that I was partnered with were were headed to lunch we walked up to an intersection busy intersection there was a you know was stop wait for the light to change and some guys pulled up in a pickup truck next to us. And this was a while ago. I'm going to date myself here. The whole Vietnam thing was still going pretty strong. And one of the guys in the pickup leaned out of the truck and cussed and swore at us and called us names. And then one of the other guys hocked up a big loogie and spit at us. 
and it landed on my shoulder. I was so shocked by what was happening that I wasn't ready. I couldn't dodge it. <laughs> landed on my shoulder. Then they drove off. I thought to myself, I want to comfort you with my hands. <laughs> you know? We were like, come back here, you know, and this kind of stuff. And, and then they, they drove off, and, you know, you're like, are you kidding? Really? Really? And I remember we walked back to the recruiting office downtown, and I was kind of discouraged. I was kind of depressed. I said, really? Really? You're going to do that? I'll never forget what my staff sergeant said to me when I sat down in the office. He said, well, if things like that are going to happen, do you really want to not wear the uniform? He said, you wear that uniform to be a shield and to protect those people. Do you really want to not wear it, or would you rather wear it even if it means being spit on? I remember sitting there and going, wow, you're smarter than me. And I remember sitting there and going, yeah, I'd rather wear this. I'd rather wear this even if I'm going to be spit on. You see, friends, when we choose to dress up like who God calls us to be, we find a satisfaction that can't be found anywhere else. A purpose, a meaning, and an identity that can't be found. So, as we close this morning, who are you dressing up as? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me for a moment. And let me just invite you to consider in your own heart, before God, who are you trying to dress up as? Who are you choosing to want to be? God invites you to choose to want to be the people of God, the son of God, the daughter of God, the follower of Jesus. And maybe you fall into the habit of trying to dress up like somebody else. God says it's a dead end. Adam and Eve dressed up like somebody else and it wasn't going anywhere. But God comes to save us from those fake identities and to restore us to the real one to who we really are meant to be. Maybe you need to decide who you're going to dress up as going forward. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the hope that we do actually become who we dress up as. And we thank you for the invitation that comes from your heart to dress up as your daughters, your sons. Help us, God, to receive that and to walk in it, we pray. And we ask it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, friends? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you remember how you felt when you were a kid and you dressed up, that same power, that same influence is still there. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.